Hey guys, welcome to a special edition of the Commando On Demand podcast. Now, you've heard the expression, success leaves clues, so we're announcing a brand new podcast called Starting Line, Small Business Success Tips, and we're launching that podcast and giving you a little preview right here on Commando On Demand. This new podcast series takes a look at successful people in business and in life, and certainly as we're going to learn today how failures can so often lead to success. In this inaugural episode, we're excited to introduce to you our first guests on Starting Line, Dan Granger. Kim talks to Dan about his company's success and phenomenal growth. Dan's company is Oxford Road, and they went from startup ad agency to over $1 million in billing in their first year. Oxford Road was also named one of Inc. 500's fastest growing companies of 2017. Dan's company represents some of the most innovative companies in the world, including Hulu, Dollar Shave Club, LegalZoom, Bolin Branch, and Quip. On this Commando On Demand podcast, we take you through Dan's early failures. I survived by the skin of my teeth. I almost got fired a few times. And it's not that I wasn't working for good people. I think they were patient with me. I just frankly couldn't close a door. And it, it was um, it was a really close call whether or not I was going to make it in the business. And Dan also talks with Kim about the phenomenal success of Oxford Road and much, much more. First, a word from our partners who helped make this podcast possible. Dan, thanks for spending some time with us. We're going to have a great conversation about entrepreneurship and advertising and solve, well, hopefully all of the world's problems here in this podcast. Uh, So thanks for being on board with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to solving all of the world's problems. I'm Dan Granger. I'm CEO of Oxford Road. So, Dan, I understand from your background that you just didn't jump into this fray and start your own advertising agency like when you were 18 years old, correct? Correct. Okay, so so there was a path, and maybe it was a crooked path, like so many of us entrepreneurs we have. Um, What was your first real gig that you had? My first real gig was actually with Clear Channel Radio, now iHeart, but I worked there for about 10 years, and I was a local uh, radio account executive. So I would go out and I would find new advertisers that wanted to grow their business. I would bring them uh, to radio and help them put their first test together uh, and uh, in many ways simulate what we do now um, in trying to act like a full-service agency just as a local spot seller, frankly. So how long were you at Clear Channel and when did you know you wanted to do your own gig? I was there for 10 years. I... um, I started, I stopped, I wasn't saving my uh, prospect list for a long time because I said, I'm not going to be doing this in a year. (laughs) (laughs) No sense getting comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'm like, you know what, I'm going to keep doing this, I think, for a while. I, um, I, I was actually, in 2005, 2006, I started toying with the idea that I thought something was going to happen in podcasts, and I really wanted to go out and, and build a platform that would make it easier for people to access podcast content, and had a concept that, that was very much like what Stitcher ended up becoming, um, but our, our second daughter was born, um, and she had special needs and a, a host of um, medical conditions that just made it not a good time to, to venture out and launch a business. Um, and, and then I, you know, when, after we kind of got through that season, 
I started incubating what became an ad agency, but but Clear Channel was very good to me and very flexible with me, and they let me actually build a team inside of the company. Um, who actually supported my efforts to service local advertisers. And we started making inroads in the Silicon Valley, trying to help tech companies bridge the gap and, and learn that, you know, offline wasn't so scary and actually could help them grow their business. And it was funny because 90% of them would start with the posture of, that doesn't work, digital is everything. If it's not digital, it doesn't work. And and they've all figured it out by now, but it took a long time to break through that. But nobody was really doing it, so I, we made that our niche. And that was very successful for us. The other big thing that happened was I had started hearing rumors that podcasts actually were very effective for advertisers. And I'm at my desk one one uh, day working late, and probably 10 yards away from me, uh, Adam Carolla, who had recently left his, uh, his radio, national radio show, to focus on his podcast, he was plugging it on the Petros and Money show, who... who did their show down the hall from me. Heard he was in there, and I heard there were advertisers on his podcast showing up. I said, okay, it's time. So I basically stalked him, um, <laughs> followed him out to his car, and I'm like, look, you know, I've got these advertisers. Um, they do great on your your podcast. You know, can we do something? And he was like, oh, okay, you know. So so he set me up with his people and um, uh, started working with what's now the Podcast One team and, and, and sort of referring clients over there. And I... <laughs> And I didn't want to actually have an agency because I, I wanted to be sensitive to my agreement with Clear Channel, but I got their blessing that I could make referrals and get referral fees. And so the, the network started paying me, and I started just reaching out to anybody with a sizable podcast and going, hey, you know, let me give you some of these radio advertisers. We'll help them run and make it successful. Well, I started making a lot of money really fast um, just through referring these advertisers to podcasts because they work so well. And after about probably three or four months of just getting that the, those kind of the system built to know who performed how and what were the programs and how do you execute these things, you know, we kind of built a machine around that, and it started generating more income than the core business was generating just doing local radio alone. Um, and so I went to um, the powers that be at Clear Channel. I said, I love you. Um, thank you for everything, but um, I'm going to go. And I said, I, if you're open to it, I think we can do well collaborating on some of the clients that I've been working with here on radio. And they actually did that, and they actually supported me and helped me launch and allowed me to keep working as the agency on the clients that I had been working with directly see, through the station. You know, and see, and that's really fascinating to me because, you know, typically that's not the case. A big company will say, right. you know what, hey, you know what, thanks, Dan, we appreciate it. Yeah. Okay, and then there's the door, buddy. But they didn't do that. Yeah. No, I, I, I was ready f to have a Jerry Maguire moment. and um, But you know what? These were good people. These were really good people. Jeff Thomas, Greg Ashlock, these were guys that, that really looked at me as somebody they had invested a lot into and built me up in my career and supported me when I wasn't successful um, before I was. And, and, and they wanted to stay in relationship and in partnership. And I really valued that about them. And, and I will say that I think we're all doing better, you know, five years later because we all took a collaborative approach and sometimes sometimes it's like people get so defensive when something's going to be hard and if you just 
come in ready to collaborate, it's amazing sometimes what you can accomplish together. And do you remember who your first client was? I do. Ooh, yes, I do. It was what we used to call an up call. So somebody calls into the station, uh, they assessed it as not having a ton of potential, so they forwarded it to the new kid, who was me. And it was um, it was a learning program. It was an educational tool, and, and I heard a lot of passion from the entrepreneur on the other side of the phone, and she wanted to be on the air right away. And I said, well, you know, I think, look, there's a lot of value to be had in weekends to grow your business because you can advertise for a little bit less money, but there's a good audience there, and you might get some good response. Well, she wanted to do this and and said, okay, I need to be on this Sunday. I said, okay, well, let's figure it out. And then we looked at it and it turned out that Sunday was Easter Sunday. And I said, you know what? I, I think we should wait. Let's get through the holiday and, and go another time. She said, no, 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 we got to go. And it was hard because I wasn't sure, was she going to be successful? Were we going to get any response? Well, I ended up meeting up with her uh, to collect the payment. And she literally handed me a bag of cash and wouldn't hear another word about it. She was determined that we had to go right away. So Easter Sunday comes along, we run the spots. I called her up. I said, you know, I'm sure that this wasn't a big response week, but I think over time it'll build. She said, what do you mean? This was supposed to work and my mom is going to kill me. So it turned out I learned very early on in my career that you have to really be careful to manage expectations and overmanage expectations and sometimes even say no to people's ideas so that they can be successful because sometimes I think we get so passionate about an idea we can get in our own way and limit ourselves from a good start okay, so uh, just what, to start some initiatives. But but I have a question. So so this woman just handed you a pile of cash and said it, said it was in a bag. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad it was in a bag. Was it a paper it bag? bag? Okay. <laughs> um, well, so what was this software program going to do for kids? Like their ABCs type of thing. And what year was this? Well, okay. So we were in 2004, I believe. And at the time, Hooked on Phonics was a big organization doing a lot of advertising. And without giving away the name of the, sure. the proposed entity, it was a pivot off of that model uh, that was supposed to be a way to accelerate people's learning in a way that was revolutionary. But, you know, look, I was a couple years out of college. I didn't know any better, and I, I believed in the idea of it to the extent that sure. we wanted to go. Well, I just didn't know that she was literally putting all of her chips on that one weekend to make it successful. And, and see, and that's the tough part of being a seller because your job is to sell, right? I mean, yes. but your job is also to make sure that that product's going to last because as I've always told, told our folks is that it's always easier to resell a current client than to go find a new one. Right. Yeah. Okay. And and local radio at that time, I would say, was it hard to sell or was it kind of easy for you? Well, for the first year, I survived by the skin of my teeth. I almost got fired a few times. And it's not that I wasn't working for good people. I think they were patient with me. I just frankly couldn't close a door for probably the first 10 or 11 months. And it was a really close call whether or not I was going to make it in the business. It seemed like everybody that I worked around either had all the ad agencies locked up. And I really just didn't know what I didn't know about how to help a, a small business take their first step. And what nobody really, I think, teaches you because it's a very complicated matter is 
how do you get the messaging right? How are you supposed to measure the thing? And what do you buy, which isn't always necessarily the same thing that everybody wants you to sell, right? And so to, to kind of get that balancing act right was very challenging. All right. So, Dan, you bring up a really good point, because whether you're buying digital advertising, radio, television, billboard, whatever it is, right, the messaging Mm -hmm. is so important. How are you going to get those eyeballs? And now what is it that we have a nanosecond in order to get somebody's attention? Yeah, they're trying to do other things, and especially when you're only working in between the programming, you know, everybody's job is to ignore you, and your job, our job, is to help them find a reason to pay attention and to stay engaged. Was there a campaign that you've done where the client came to you with, I would say, unrealistic to you expectations where you had to sit there and and you really struggled to come up what that messaging might be. But then to your surprise, everything all worked. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, in some ways, you're describing every campaign. You know, I think clients are uniquely biased against a lot of what really needs to be done in an ad. We have a proprietary process called Audiolytics where we've actually broken down. We've looked at, okay, what do all the ads that have ever worked that we've seen have in common? And we've tried to isolate the variables. We're up to identifying about 71 elements that if they're in place in an ad, they're going to drive performance and it's going to be a successful ad. So I do believe in formulas. You know, when I was working in radio, the one that was really popular was the AIDA formula, you know, get their attention, peak their interest, um, create desire, and, you know, call them to action, right? So so there's a lot of formulas out there. I think most of them have a lot of merit. You ever read The Adventures of the Screen Trade by William Goldman about, you know, Hollywood and how all that works? He's like, from the studio executives to the writers, nobody knows anything. And the longer I do this, the more I, I start to feel that way and that before somebody goes to market, and I'm not talking about established brands that are just optimizing, but I'm talking about somebody that's coming in for the first time. You can think that you know, but you don't really know until the audience tells you what they think. And the audience is never wrong. But you know, with advertisers, I've had ones that I thought were going to be a massive success. I said, this is going to be a layup. And then it was an uphill battle. I've had ones that we said, well, we really need to manage their expectations because I don't know that they're going to get there in their test period. And they had massive success. So, you know, we can do our best prognosticating. But at the end of the day, you know, you got to ask the market and the market's going to have the final word. So we have a lot of entrepreneurs, small business owners who are trying to bring their products to market who listen to to the show when they hit the website. You know, if, if you were sitting there, and let's say you had a Kickstarter, Indiegogo, whatever it may be, and you yeah. need to advertise this product nationally. Yes. yes. What do you think, like, the first... You know, I always like to talk about educate and activate, right? Right, right. But what if you don't have the money to educate? You're just trying to activate. Do you go then just for the low cost? Do you do do you go after the offer at that point? Well, okay, so in in 2018, um I believe that radio is generally not your first step because to do radio properly, you have to have a time horizon and a budget that allows you to commit. Right. I mean, we've seen massive success stories, you know, where I got lucky 
was that I got to be the first person to put LegalZoom.com on the radio. And let me tell you, if they weren't in a six-month contract, they would have bailed on that thing, and it ended up changing their business. And so not everybody has the capital to really commit and do it properly. It doesn't mean it always has to cost a million dollars to do it, but I do believe that today there are low barriers to entry online, basic search, Facebook, where you can place small bets and get statistically significant samples of how an audience is going to respond before you really start driving demand through a mass uh, reach channel like radio. And look, n- nobody in the world is, except maybe yourself, is as big a, a proponent and believer in radio as I am. But I have found that if the funnel is broken and we're going to pour a lot of interest and in busy people, hardworking people to go take an action and check something out. We want to make sure that they're going to have the right experience. And sometimes people will get the cart before the horse where they could have just generated a little bit of traffic and made sure that they really had their house in order so that when we use the big megaphone, that they're really, truly ready to facilitate a transaction and give the customer a great experience. Yeah. And that's a really good point, because when you were talking there, Dan, I was thinking about you know, when Carbonate first came to me, mm-hmm. uh, David Friend had $25,000. Okay. Mm. Now this is a, almost a billion dollar company, but he came to me with 25. Yeah, yeah. But he came to me with 25 grand and said, okay, I want to advertise my online backup service. And I looked at him mm-hmm. and I said, well, there's nothing I can do with you. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can't. I would rather not take your twenty five thousand dollars and mm-hmm. and stay a friend or become a friend of yours mm-hmm. than just take it from you, not be able to give you the type of results that you need. Because at that time, education online backup was kind of foreign to people because everybody had an external right. hard drive, right? Right. And so he came back with a hundred thousand dollars a couple of months right. later and said, "Okay, I have a hundred because that was the number that I gave him at that time." And you yeah. know, they went on to spend sometimes one and a half, two million dollars a year with us, which was mm-hmm. just absolutely astonishing. There was another guy who mortgaged his house, took a second mortgage out, and I didn't uh, know that. And it uh, talked. And when I found out that he had second, he had taken a second out on his house for radio advertising, I gave him all of his money back because I was uh, like, you know, I need to look at myself in the mirror, you know, and yeah, and yep. then okay, then there's the other guy who had the money, but we had to stop his advertising because he couldn't fulfill the demand. Yes. That we gave yes, him. Yes, I like when that happens. Right. Okay, but we so we have all these different variables. And so yeah. and a lot of it goes down to, you know, how much money do you have? Is there a certain budget? I know that's hard to say, but if if you wanted to start out effectively and, and you know, if so somebody's putting together their VC money or the plans and if somebody wanted to say, you know, OK, yes, I do want to get an endorsement plan, which I guess we should probably explain what endorsement radio is first. So let's start there, Dan. How would you define endorsement radio? Uh, endorsement radio is one of the most powerful advertising tools um, known to man because um, unlike everything else where you're walking up to a bunch of strangers and saying, hey, look at me, let me tell you why you should believe me, trust me, like me, engage in with my product and, and give me your money. Instead of doing that, you have somebody who already has a relationship with every listener the way you do, Kim, who can say, hey, look, 
if you trust me, you should trust these people because I will give you my word that they are excellent at X. And when you can tr- when, when you can impute that trust, when you can transfer the trust that you have you have earned with every listener and transfer that into an audience, that is the power of an endorsement, and that is the difference between a stranger making an introduction and a trusted friend and advisor making an introduction. So it's an ad that is spoken not just voiced by a personality, but that is an actual recommendation by that personality. But that endorsement, there's a lot of caveats around that, right? I mean, like, for example, I only endorse, say, five different companies at one time because Mm -hmm. otherwise it all becomes diluted. My price is a lot lower than Rush Limbaugh's price. (laughs) (laughs) Much to my chagrin, someday we might get there. But, you're you're getting closer. You'll get there. <laughs> but it's but it's higher than other folks, you know. Mm-hmm. And so and now we have this whole explosion. I'll tell you, I'm sitting here. I'm looking at podcasting, astounded by the numbers. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, over say ten months, our podcast downloads have gone from twenty thousand to over two million in a month. And I'm wow. like, how did wow. that happen? You know, that is just it's just crazy. But but you hear a lot of smaller companies advertising in podcasts. Can you talk a little bit about that as maybe a medium for our our small business folks to look at? Well, it's interesting. The reason I was able to launch my own business is because of podcasts. And one of the the beautiful things that podcasts did was it it lowered the barrier to entry to people that wanted that type of advertising experience that you can get with radio. You've got people that are super engaged with content that are really connected to a host. And there's endorsements built into the platform. By the way, these are early adopters. These are people that especially at the time, you know, it was it was hard to listen to a podcast. So the people that have been there historically have always been at the bleeding edge of technology adoption. And you've got these people and you've got programs that you can literally sponsor for hundreds of dollars. And you might see a significant return on investment from that. And historically, that's what we've seen. And that's why today, you know, we actively put advertisers on hundreds of podcasts, maybe thousands we've tested over time. And it's incredible what you can do. So the, the fact that it's much less expensive to do that, and if we're getting technical here, you know, radio, we talk a lot about frequency, right? You've right. got to hear a message a number of different times before a listener finally, really, it sinks in and they're ready to take action, right? Well, with podcast, it's almost an inversion of the frequency that's required to cause an action, where you're a lot more likely to, to over-message to a listener than you are to not run enough frequency. So you'll end up testing programs with two or three insertions, whereas radio, we'd laugh at you if you said you wanted to run two or three spots. Coming up in the next part of this special Commando On Demand podcast, we're going to really dig in with Dan about taking your message to the people. It used to be that you would need hundreds of thousands of dollars to run a national broadcasting campaign, but podcasting has changed that barrier to entry. Up next, how you can tell if your message is working and how you can get people to respond to your advertising. It's a special edition of Commando On Demand. We're introducing you to Starting Line, Small Business Success Tips, and more with Kim and Dan in just a moment.
All right. So we have the ads in the podcast. A lot of folks are always wondering about what we here in the building. We call it a CTA call to action. Right. 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 Okay, so we need to have them. We need to have them activate. We need to have them so excited that they're going to click, whether it's in an Instagram ad, Facebook, podcast, radio, billboard, TV or whatever. And the CTA is different per medium. Right. Let's talk a little bit about, well, first of all, are promo codes really effective? Do people actually enter them in? And also, you know, how strong does that offer have to be? Is it better to do a BOGO, buy one, get one free, 10% off? Is there a magical number that, that will make people act? Okay, these are very good questions. So let me start with the first one, which you asked, do people actually use promo codes or these archaic vanity URLs? Go to forward slash blah, 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 right? And here's the rookie move that a lot of marketers make. They do one-to-one attribution. Now, attribution for anybody that's new to the game here, um, that's trying to figure out how many people actually responded to the ad, right? It's the 100-plus-year-old saying, I know half my ads are working. I don't know which half. Okay, so we we call it attribution to try to solve that problem. And the bigger problem is, um, you know, if you're watching television, they'll do uh, generally what they all come down to is a spike level analysis. They go to the website and they go, okay, spot ran at X time within a, you know, five, 10 minute window. How many people went to the site right after that? And they'll, they'll kind of figure it out. But what the problem you have with audio is that People are generally doing something while they're listening to it. They're not sitting on the couch staring at a speaker, right? And with so many people driving while they listen, you don't want them taking action that minute because they might get in a car accident, right? So you have to figure out a way to at least get a signal that says, yes, we did hear you in this ad. We did come because of this ad. But the rookie move is to call that, treat that as though it's 100% of the response. It's not. It's a slice of the pie. And how big a slice depends on a number of things. To your second question, sometimes that's how valuable is the offer? Am I going to take my time uh, out of my day to write down and remember what that special promo code is? When the reality is, you know, you go in and say bowlandbranch.com forward slash Kim. Well, more people than not are going to Google Bowl and Branch, and they might just Google Bowl and Branch discount rather than uh, going and following the instructions that we've required. But that's not to say it's not important. It is very important so that as an advertiser, you can get relativity on the performance between your media channels. I need to know how Kim does against Rush, does against the seven new channels that I'm testing right now. And I need something that is apples to apples that'll tell me that's where a promo code or a vanity URL comes into play. It gives you a ranking order to know this ad for every dollar spent performs this well against everything else that I'm doing. Then we have to get a little bit more sophisticated to triangulate a, a, a projection of how many people took action outside of that promo code. So that's, and that's the answer that's to the first hard. one. I, uh, yeah. that, that's hard. It is hard. Because you know, it is hard. Because you're really trying to figure out the effectiveness of it and if, in fact, what is making, you know, what is the trigger point? Like, just when you're talking about it, I was thinking about, you know, back when Carbonite was, you know, running strong with us and, you know, they are now an enterprise type product. And so they, right. they've kind of graduated yeah, right. off of the Kim Commando show. 
But mm-hmm. I remember them telling me that they did a survey. And the survey, they were asking people, a very focused group, um, focus group rather, that, you know, why they bought carbonite. And what they determined, I thought, was so fascinating, and I was so happy that they shared this with me, was that people said that they heard about carbonite on the Rush Limbaugh show. Mm-hmm. But the majority they didn't advertise on Rush, did they? No, they did. Oh no, they did. They, they did it. The yeah, time. they That's did. Right. They, That's right. They were yeah, there. yeah. But they advertised on, or they heard about the product on Rush Limbaugh. But they yep. didn't buy it until they heard me talk about it. Uh, so yeah. So carbonite was dry. now they're trying to figure out. Okay, <laughs> now we really have something going on here that we need mm-hmm. to get our arms around uh, as mm-hmm. far as the effectiveness of the ad. Um, what about mm-hmm. these third-party tracking tools? Do they work? Uh, um, if you, so when you talk about third-party tracking tools, can you throw out an example of what you might be thinking about? Uh, like, let's say somebody goes to somebody goes to commando.com, uh, yeah. and then they two days later they go to Bowl and Branch. I uh, I gotcha. Okay, so um, look, I think all attempts at measurement are helpful, but again, rookie move is to think that the slice of the pie is the pie, right? So if you want to predict what the lag is between the time you get somebody checking it out to actually making the purchase, hey, that's great. You know, well, it's an average of three and a half days for a customer to actually, you know, buy the thing that they went and checked out, which, of course, is also going to depend on your product category offer, everything like that. So I'm always all for third parties that try to get at this, but it's not it's not the total um, impact. The we're already we're already going deep on this. So so the the two best ways that you can do it, the first way is a baseline left analysis, and basically saying okay, what was the the level of traffic that you were getting before you started running the ad? What happened after you started the campaign? Now most of the time you won't actually get to use this. Because by the time you can afford to advertise, especially if you're a national company, by the time you can really start thinking about this type of a campaign, the water level that you have to move in a statistically (laughs) significant way, and by the way, this is not stable. This thing is rocky, right? So this is changing all the time. You had a PR hit. You had a, you know, you you also launched a direct mail campaign. Like, there's a lot of moving parts to spend a lot of moving pieces so to to keep that level stable enough that you can in a sense it's like you know dropping a rock into a fishbowl you see the water level rise right that can be done if the rock is big enough and the bowl is small enough but when you're doing a lot of these it's like throwing a pebble into a lake it ain't going to change a lot if that's what you're trying to do and so that has to be modeled out in advance and a word to the wise for those that are measurement minded and thinking about doing this in the future you actually have an advantage in the accuracy of your measurement if you do a baseline lift analysis early in your business, because by the time you get really successful, you're a victim of your own success. You don't get to use that anymore. And it's the only one that doesn't lie. So 
hopefully we're not getting too far into the weeds here, but I think the bottom line is you have to run a projection of what it would cost to actually have a statistically significant change in performance pre and post the campaign. Campaign has to be big enough to give you that lift. And usually the denominator and numerator are generally out of whack in that equation. So that's part one. Part two is a survey, right? Like you mentioned. And and the truth is, I like surveys. I think it's easy to screw them up. You know, you ask them, how'd you hear about us? And uh, another rookie move is to not rotate the options that people see, because a lot of times you're going to see bias toward either the first one or the most visible option on the list. Second challenge with surveys is that, you know, sometimes multiple things can be true at the same time and you might have recency bias. So you said, well, I got you from search. Well, the truth is the only reason you search is because Kim Commando told you to, but you gave search all the credit, right? So, So there is some bias in that, but if you frame it properly, if you execute it properly, and like this is half of our job sometimes is working through making sure that we just get that right and think about the nuance of it, how you do that properly. Surveys can be a wonderful tool to know how big is the radio bucket. And then when you have these signals that you're getting from the promo codes, you go, okay, well, a thousand people told me this week they heard about me from radio. I got a hundred total promo codes. So every promo code equals 10 sales, 10 customers. And so you can model it out that way. And that's generally how it's done. Particularly now, with national brands, and, and you know the surveys for folks that are sitting there, you know, still trying to get their business going. I mean, you know, you can do one for free at SurveyMonkey. Um, oh yeah, and, so, well, and and a lot of people bake it into the funnel when they're checking out or or post purchase. They'll stop you right there, which is great. And then we have yeah. found that when we do a survey, which is very invaluable, is that you know if we give folks a little bit of an incentive. You know, somebody, mm-hmm. somebody's going to, somebody is going to get a, a $100 Amazon.com gift card. Okay. One person. Yeah. Okay. But you get 3,500 responses. It's like, yeah, wow, that is the best $100 we've spent in a freaking long time. Right. Yeah. Yep. Well, and so, so to your second question, I'll try to make this a shorter answer. If you want people to respond and you're trying to figure out an offer, one of the big things to think about is, is your offer going to be better than what I get if I Google it? We know there's a lot of discount sites out there. There's Retail Me Not, there's Coupon Mountain, there's Honey, there's all these things, right? And if you're going to offer 40% on there and a 20% discount on your radio offer, you're really not only confusing and in some cases misleading the audience about how good a deal it is, you're also undermining your ability to track it properly because I'm going to go for the lower offer even though I love you as the host that referred me. So I think that's important. You know, there's more nuanced considerations around like time horizon. Like once you take the discount crack, you know, you can't really walk it back. You kind of have to live with it forever. So you have to be a little bit thoughtful long-term about what type of promotions you're willing to run um, because the audience will get trained that that's the time that you buy it. And so if you plan to walk that back and go, we're not going to do that anymore, that'll actually hurt your business for a long, long time. I've seen it happen. So what's next? How many clients do you have now at the agency? You have have big names. I know this. You have, what, Oxford? I mean, you have uh, Bolin Branch. um, Yeah, Bolin Branch, Quip, HelloFresh. Blinds.com. I mean, we probably work with a few dozen active clients at a time, and it's good. And I think 
the media continues to evolve and and we're in an interesting spot because it's my belief that we need to be platform agnostic to an extent like we do have a specialty in podcasts we do have a specialization in audio we do have tv professionals so that we can go soup to nuts on a tv campaign but those are difficult terms is podcast digital is streaming digital is radio is it offline or what do you call it right we know that the world's changing and it generally changes slower than forecasted and so we are very delicately straddling the line between new media and old media as the two actually converge together. And so we're going to keep doing that. I think that one of the things we're paying very close attention to is is smart speakers, because, as you know, that's going to have such a powerful impact on advertising especially as that develops and consumption goes up and people start seeing those as a way to discover and engage with radio content in higher numbers than they are today. I know everybody's got one in their house. I don't know that the radio consumption or podcast consumption has even started to make an impact that that matters to advertisers, but we know it's going to. And what that is going to do for problems like attribution, direct response, things like that, it's going to be mind-blowing in the ways that we're going to be able to engage with interest customers. And so definitely have our ears to the ground. You know, I made reference earlier to Audiolytics, which is important. And as technology continues to develop, you know, you're, you're going to be able to do um, more sophisticated testing than I think is is possible today using traditional audio, you know, being able to do multivariate testing and, and, and the, the more sophisticated ways of knowing, okay, if I pull this lever, what's the direct impact of that in a less noisy environment with statistically significant results? I think those are the things we're most engaged with. And it's exciting, but at the end of the day, I think a lot of what doesn't change is, you know, some of the fundamentals that just go back to what it was when I started in my career, when people were calling, you know, local plumbers out of the, you know, out of the yellow pages, using that as your computer. I think it comes down to paying attention to how you measure things, paying attention to what you say to people. You know, if one of the things we can get so caught up in when we're surrounded by so much technology is that, you know, analytics is not really a strategy. It's, it's something you do to support what you're doing, but it's not the idea. The business is the idea. What you can do for a customer is the big idea. And so we're committed to staying focused on supporting entrepreneurs and organizations that are doing something interesting, that are solving a real problem that we believe in, that we would fight for, and getting out of the way, because that message is there. That story is there. It's our job just to be faithful and clear in telling it and telling it effectively. One of the reasons we love Dan's story so much is how he talks about what must have seemed like insurmountable odds of success at the time. His first year in broadcast radio, where he talked about how he, quote, couldn't close a door. And of course, we love talking to business owners with so much passion for what they do. It's contagious. This is the kind of character that's needed in a successful entrepreneurship. And Dan personifies the stories that you're going to hear in our new podcast called Starting Line Small Business Success. I hope you'll join us there. Go to commando.com slash podcast or look for us on your favorite podcast player by searching K-O-M-A-N-D-O. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next edition of Commando On Demand.